Listen to me, child of God. You must understand that when you believed in the Son, in grace you forever stand. Jesus, death has satisfied, and through faith in Him you got peace with God. 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 Reconciled through the death of Christ, you're the object of God's love. So rest upon the Savior's work and eat the bread that's from above. Hold on to His promises, be assured and don't you doubt that you got peace with God. 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 You don't have to worry anymore. God and you are no longer. God's family in grace God's given freely rejoicing all that he has given you must understand that when you believed in the Son, in grace you forever stand. Jesus, death has satisfied and through faith in Him you got peace with God. You got peace with God. You got peace with God. You got peace with All right, uh, good evening. Can you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 13? Romans 15, 13. Romans, uh, we're going to study Romans 15, 13 this evening. Actually, we're going to take it in two parts because it's a big verse. But uh, what's interesting about this verse is that it actually ends Paul's argument or his presentation of the gospel, which began in Romans 1, 16. And in Romans 15, 13, that's where he ends this whole argument, this big, long dissertation or argument, as you might want to call it, 
and uh, he presents his gospel to the Roman believers who he never met. And uh, so this is a, a, a big, uh, big part of the epistle. And then from verse Romans 15, 14 to the end of chapter 16, of course, Paul has several miscellaneous items that he discusses. He gives his greetings. Uh, actually, he gives him his travel plans. Um, he gives his attitude, first of all, of the Roman believers in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 15. He, then he tells them his pl- travel plans and that he wants to go to them by way, uh, go to Spain by way, uh, stopping off to see them first on the way to Spain. So he had plans to go to Spain as well. And so we're going to be studying that. He's also going to give greetings, send greetings to people that he knew very well that actually were his co-workers in different parts of the Roman Empire and that helped him get the gospel out. So he sends greetings to those individuals in chapter 16. And then, and then there's some other things he, he throws in, other miscellaneous items, warnings, uh, against uh, those who cause division. So that's all in chapter 16. So we have a lot of... Uh, we're coming near the end of this epistle. We'll f- obviously finish it within the next couple of months. And then we're going to go into the Old Testament, of course. As I said, we're going to go to... Uh, decided to go do the book of Jonah. So we'll go into Jonah. And Jonah's going to take us... won't take us as long as Genesis or Romans because it's only four chapters. And and uh, the thing with Romans is, as I said last evening, is is that it takes, it takes a while to do Romans because it's a different type of genre. It's a different type of literature. Uh, Genesis, you know, uh, the book of uh, Jonah, they're narratives. And you can cover more ground with narratives because, so, yeah, for instance, Romans, like for one verse, might have three, four thoughts. And then you have like a, a, a narrative like Genesis, and three or four verses contains a paragraph with one full thought. So you can cover a lot of ground with uh, more ground with a, a narrative. Romans we couldn't, and, and we're not gonna. I mean, there's uh, some other big epistles that Paul has that would take as long as Romans, like First and Second Corinthians. But we're not gonna do that right away. We're gonna. Go, I want to go to some uh, smaller books so we can cover some more ground, and then when we get back to the New Testament. I'm thinking, if God permits, we'll do uh, the Book of Colossians, which is four chapters. So I want to cover some more some ground. We co- we covered two major works in the Bible: Genesis and Romans. And uh, we're almost finished with Romans, so I'm pretty proud of, uh, of that, that we were able to do that. And uh, so um, we'll, uh, this is the preview of coming attraction. So without further ado, let's take that moment of silent prayer. I know those of you in front of me know what to do, but for those who might be listening to this class for the first time or uh, ex- being exposed to this ministry for the first time, uh, whether through the Internet or CDs or whatnot, uh, this is a pal talk. They're just jumping into the room for the first time. The next few moments are for them. In particular, and a reminder for those of you in the chapel who already know this and on Pal Talk, but we take a moment of silent prayer now before we hear what the Spirit will say to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And that means we apply 1 John 1 9, which states, If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now, Paul uses different terminology in 1 Corinthians 11, he calls it judging the body rightly. So uh, this is uh, very important because we can't be in fellowship with God if we're harboring any sin in our stream of consciousness. Once we've confessed our sins, then we bring our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit who speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. That's when we're obeying the command to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. If there's anything that's disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together with other members of the royal family of God who are serious students of the word of God to study your word. We thank you for the gift of the spirit and the completed canon of scripture so we can learn about you, Father, your character and nature, your grace policy, who and what your son is and the spirit and what you've done for us in eternity past and what you're doing for us in the past through both your son and the spirit and what you're doing for us now and will do for us in the future. And that you'd give us a resurrection body and give us rewards if we're faithful here in time. And we just pray that you would help us in this ministry to live our lives in light of the imminency of our death or the imminent return of your son Jesus Christ at the rapture so we could experience our sanctification and bring glory to you. Help us and encourage us to appropriate by faith the Spirit's teaching in the word of God that we're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with your son at your right hand so that we might experience victory over our three great enemies, the devil, the sin nature, and Satan's cosmic system. And we just pray, Father, also that the Holy Spirit would do this through the pages of Scripture, through the teaching of the Word of God, and through encouragement by other like-minded believers. We pray that you would continue to raise up positive volition in our ministry, continue to break down the barriers Satan has put up that is hindering that from happening. And we thank you for doing so thus far. We pray, Father, for our leaders. We pray for President Obama and his cabinet and the uh, executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, and local governments and military, that you would give our military and political leaders the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. We also pray, Father, for uh, the fact that you, would, uh, that you would continue to guide us in this study of the Book of Romans and bless us in this study, and particularly this evening in verse 13 of chapter 15. We pray that you would help those in the audience to concentrate and that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully in and through all of them and also through the communicator, that he, so that he might deliver your full counsel to your people in a fashion that would bring glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and minister to your people. We pray that as a result of this Bible class, all of us would draw closer to you in a more intimate fellowship, becoming more and more obedient each and every moment of each and every day, so that we can bring glory to you, Father, and minister to our believer, fellow believers in Christ and also the unsaved. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please turn to, if you haven't already, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now, this evening, as I noted earlier, we're going to begin to note Romans 15, 13. And in this passage, Paul completes the argument of the epistle. This argument is his presentation of the gospel. It began in Romans 1, 16. So what we've seen, it's actually in Paul's writings, and there's nowhere else that you're going to find it. There's no more clearer and lucid presentation of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. Romans is where it's at. That's the most, uh, the clearest uh, presentation of the gospel anywhere in all of Scripture. And it's a magnificent piece of literature. It's a magnificent piece that tells us about the gospel and God's plan, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all men, including Gentiles. That would be you and I. It taught, in this epistle, we've seen so many fantastic things. We've seen the doctrine of heathenism and the total depravity of man and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've seen how you get saved, the mechanics of getting saved through faith alone and Christ alone and not by keeping the works of the law. And we saw that we we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And then we got, started seeing some of the benefits of our union and identification with our son, uh, with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we've seen the, uh, the fact that we're in union with him and that we've been declared justified through faith alone and Christ alone, accepted into the family of God. All of this is we've learned in the argument that began in Romans 1.16 and closes at Romans 15.13. We saw that we're in union with uh, Christ now. 
now and not Adam. We're under the headship of Christ. And we saw that Jesus Christ has, has provided for us, has, has negated what Adam did in the garden and provided for us much more than Adam ever lost for us in the Garden of Eden. And we saw that we're under his headship. And then in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he teaches us how, uh, teaches, about, uh, teaches us about positional truth, primarily in chapter 6 and Romans 7, 1 through 6. He gives us a clear presentation of what we call positional truth. Namely, that you're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. And that's how God views you. That's what God has done for you through the Spirit and His Son. And that's how God wants you to view yourself. And then we saw in chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, it's autobiographical and Paul's teaching us what what the, the frustration, presenting the frustration that he had as a Christian where he tried to live the spiritual life based upon his own human power. And he found out he needed a power to do this, that he didn't have the power. And he saw, we saw in chapter 8, with the 14 affirmations about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the, is the member of the Trinity that the Father has given us to indwell our souls, to give us the capacity to do all that God commands us. And then we saw in chapters 9, 10, and 11 that Paul presents uh, uh, his uh, uh, discussion about Israel. And right on the heels of telling the Christians in chapter 8 that nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he, see, he tells us through God's, uh, God's dealings with Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11 that we can trust God. God will uh, protect us. God is faithful because he's been faithful to the promises to, to the nation of Israel. Israel's been unfaithful to, to God. And so we saw a whole bunch of different things in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of talking about how our salvation, Gentiles, their salvation is based upon the promises that were given to Abraham. And one of those promises, as we've been mentioning in Romans 15, verses 9 through 12, is that God provided promises to Abraham, not only national and personal, but also international, universal promises, that salvation would come through a descendant of Abraham, who was the first Jew, the progenitor of the Jews. So we saw that chapter 11 shows the Gentile believers that their salvation is dependent upon those promises to the patriarchs. And then we saw in chapters 12, we saw that uh, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Before that, he talked about uh, making sure that we think correctly so that we can present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to the Father, which is our spiritual service of worship. And then we saw about spirit, we talked about spiritual gifts, and then Paul talked about love at the end of the, from the chapter, chapter 12, verses 9 to the end of the chapter. Chapter 13. We talked about the Christian's relationship to uh, human government and how we can manifest the righteousness of God through our function toward human government, which is ordained by God. And then the rest of the chapter, he talks about love, love toward the unbeliever. And then, in last verses 11 through 14 of chapter 13, he talked about... He talked about living our lives in light of the imminent return of Christ. And then in chapter 14... Verses 1 all the way to to verse uh, 13 of chapter 15, he talks about the conduct between the weak and the strong believers in Rome, that they're to accept one another, welcome each other into fellowship with one another, to not condemn one another over stupid, silly, non-essentials like the dietary regulations of the law or observance of certain days or abstaining from wine offered in pagan rituals. So we saw that you're to operate in love. That's what God was teaching us in chapter 14 and the first 13, first 11 verses 
verses of chapter 15. And then we co- we're coming to the end of that argument. I gave you just a, a, a broad general overview of the entire argument that's in this Roman epistle. And it's a, the most lucid presentation, clear presentation of the gospel. And every church should teach the book of Romans. And take as long as you need because it is so very valuable. And I pointed this out in the introduction is that the church history has always been affected by the teaching of the Book of Romans. Evangelism has increased. The life of the church has prospered because the Book of Romans has been taught. Luther and Calvin, the uh, the, the stalwarts of the Reformation, and we're uh, reaping the benefits from their work, they all talked about the Book of Romans. Right up to our present day with individuals like uh, John Piper and uh, Bob Thiem, these people taught the Book of Romans and they see the great treasures that are in the Book of Romans. So it's very, it was a, it, I'm glad we did this book and we did it while I was young, okay? Because if I, as an old man, I don't think I could, uh, if I ever get to old age, it's a, you, it takes all of your energies because Paul is very difficult. Peter acknowledged that at the end of his second epistle where he says that some things that Paul teaches are very difficult and you probably could say amen to that. But you never can learn, you're never going to learn if you always try to uh, uh, keep down to a lower level. You need to always try to stretch yourself and try to learn because when you hear things that you've never heard before or don't understand, that's not where you say, that's not the point where you say, well, I don't want to listen to it. That's where you want to listen to it because you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is what my prayer is that has happened with the book of Romans, our study of the book of Romans. So Romans 15, 13, which we're going to begin this evening, completes the main argument of the epistle. Now, in this passage, Paul shares with his readers the prayer he makes to the Father on their behalf, namely that the Spirit will cause them all to be filled with all joy and peace, by believing, so that they would abound in confidence by the power of the Holy Spirit. And tomorrow we're going to see that the purpose of that is that they would prosper in their souls with a confidence that is divine in quality and character by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you appropriate that, uh, that power of the Holy Spirit by obeying what the Spirit says to us in the teaching of the Word of God. Throughout the Scriptures, you see in Revelations chapters 2 and 3, Hebrews 3, 7, 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, listen to what the Spirit has to say to the church. The Spirit inspired the Scriptures, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, and the Spirit is who was speaking to us through the communication of the Word of God. And we need to have discernment and listen to what the Spirit says. The Spirit will never tell us to do anything that contradicts the teaching of the Word of God. Thus the importance of us interpreting the Bible correctly. Because someone could say the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something when that's be- and they get the wrong interpretation of the Scripture and therefore it's not the Spirit telling them, it's something else. Somebody else is telling them to do something. And so we need, that, that we need to be uh, accurate in our understanding of the Scriptures and interpretation of it so we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is revealing here in Romans 15, 13, that if you want to prosper in your soul as a Christian, you know, you're not going to grow up spiritually uh, by just sitting there and letting go, letting God. That's not taught in the Bible, and you know that's not taught. You've seen it for yourself. It means we have to put some effort into experiencing our sanctification and our deliverance. To grow to spiritual maturity takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, 
failures, successes. is a long, hard road. And the road's not ended until the Lord takes us out, whenever that might be, and it's imminent. So that's when we get our resurrection bodies, that's the completion of the plan of God for us, and then we go on to eternity for the things that God has prepared for us, for those of us who love him. So we see that Paul wants the Roman believers to prosper in their souls with a confidence that's divine in quality and character because it's based upon what the Spirit says to us in the teaching of the Word of God. So we, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God are absolutely essential if we're going to prosper in our souls, if we're going to have a confidence, and I'm talking a confidence, not in self, but a confidence that God has blessed us in the past, is blessing us now, and will bless us in the future, just as it says in the scriptures through the power of the, in the, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to have confidence in life because if you don't have confidence in your relationship with God and confidence in who and what God is and what he's done for you and that he's for you and not against you, you will never do anything of significance for the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. You will, if people who think that they can lose their salvation don't have this confidence. People who are spiritually immature... Uh, They don't have it yet. It takes time. It takes growth. And more and more, we should be getting more and more of that confidence. As we grow to spiritual maturity, we'll have that confidence in in abundance. And that's exactly what Paul wants the Roman believers to have. An abundance of confidence. Abundance of confidence in their relationship with God, that God is for them and not against them. Now look at Romans 15, 13. Now may the God, as we'll see, that's the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there in verse 13, Paul's uh, that verse is completing, it completes not only the discussion in Romans 14, 1, all the way to Romans 15, 13, but also the sixth major section of the epistle, which was contained in verses Romans 12, 1 to Romans 15, 13. And it also closes as I said before, the main argument of the epistle, which began in Romans 1.16. So the main argument of the epistle was broken up into six, uh, 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 several different sections, as I pointed out. So this verse in Romans 15.13 is completing that. So this verse, Romans 15.13, expresses Paul's spirit-inspired desire, because Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, Verse 13 expresses Paul's spirit-inspired desire for the Roman believers as a corporate unit. And the application is the same thing for us here in the 21st century. It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit speaking to us. He wants this for our lives. He wants us to... We're going to find out what all this means. That the Holy Spirit, would, uh, uh, the God of hope, would fill us with all joy, peace, and believing so that we would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is something that God prayed, uh, that Paul prayed for to the Father. Although he, what he's doing here is he's actually, as I'll show you in a moment, revealing the prayer that he made to the Father. He's doing this, sharing this prayer with them to encourage them to go forward in God's plan. And the, the application for us, that's what the Spirit is saying. The same thing to us here in the 21st century. This is something that, that transcends history. This thing, it, it's true that what God wants, this statement is what God the Holy Spirit wants, the Father wants, and the Son wants for every church age believer from the first century all the way down here to the 21st century. Now, the God, it says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The God takes a little bit of explanation. It's the word theos, which does not refer here to the Father or the Son, but rather it refers to the Holy Spirit, just like it did in Romans 15, uh, uh, 4, I believe, or 15, 5. As was the case in Romans 15, 5, this statement in verse 13 is technically not a prayer. It's, he's relating a, this. This is a prayer that he had with the Father. He presented an offer to the Father. But as it's written here, it's not a prayer because he's talking about what he wants the Holy the Father, uh, what he wants the Holy Spirit to do as he's speaking to the Father. So as was the case in verse 5, this statement in verse 13 is technically not a prayer because it's not addressed specifically to the Father. Remember, all prayer is to be directed toward the Father. A lot of Bible scholars are confused when Paul makes statements like that and he makes it in 1 Thessalonians 5 as well. And they get confused. He's not talking to the Father. He's not making a prayer. He's expressing a desire that he did offer it to the Father in prayer. But he's relating it to his readers because he wants to encourage them. He wants them to, he's sharing his feelings that he has for them and the desires that he has for them. Now, further indicating that this word God here in verse 13, Theos, refers to the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> is that in this statement, in Romans 15, 13, Paul expresses his desire that the God of hope would fill them with all joy and peace. And Romans 14, 17 teaches what? It teaches that peace and joy is manifested among believers by means of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Hold your place. Look at Romans 14. Look at verse 17. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not characterized by food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. How? In the Holy Spirit. Now notice that peace and joy are in there. How is that accomplished? By being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And that's, what, that's why I say in Romans 15, 13, when he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That God is the Holy Spirit. Because that's the member of the Trinity because it says there in Romans 14, 17 that the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit will produce this peace and joy that's divine in quality and character. It'll be manifested among believers, this joy and peace. Paul's statement in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 further supports the fact that the word God here in Romans 15, 13 is referring to the Spirit and not the Father or the Son because Galatians 5, 22 and 23 teaches... That joy and peace are the product of the Holy Spirit. Uh, hold your place in Romans 15. Go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 5, please. Verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit... The production of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is what? Love, joy, peace. This is something that the Spirit produces. And how does he do that? He doesn't do it independently of the Word of God. He does it through the Word of God. As you apply the Word of God, you are going to have that peace produced in you by the Holy Spirit. So he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul's statement in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, as we just read, further supports the fact that God in Romans 15, 13 is referring to the Spirit 
and not the Father or the Son, because Galatians 5, 20 and 22 and 23 teaches that joy and peace are the production of the Holy Spirit. Also, further indicating that the word God in Romans 15, 13 is referring to the Spirit, not the Father or the Son, is Paul's statement in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Look at Romans 15, 4, please. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have confidence. Now, in that verse, Paul teaches that through the scriptures, the believer can experience confidence in his relationship with God and that he has been blessed in the past, is being blessed in the present, and will be blessed in the future. And of course, Second Timothy, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, teaches that the Spirit inspired the Scriptures. So that's why I'm trying to put the two together so you see that. Because if you don't see that, you don't, you're, you're going to think that this, the production of the Holy Spirit, this peace and joy and love, is independent of the Word of God, or it's some kind of, uh, this kind of feeling that I have. And I point this out because a lot of Christians and a lot of denominations think that being filled with the Spirit is some, there's some emotion that they can work up. No, it's the result of thinking what the Spirit says to us in the Word of God. This is a living book. It's, di- it's just like any other book. However, it's different than every other book and unique, m- more unique. It's unique of all books in history because it only can be understood by the Holy, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit and so the Spirit speaks to us. So every time we obey the Spirit, what's going to happen is that uh, when we, every time we obey the word of God, the spirit is going to produce these characteristics. So you don't have to work anything up. All you need to do is what, obey what the spirit's saying in the word of God. And these things will be produced in you. And you, don't have, you won't even realize it. Just obey what God, the Holy Spirit's saying to us in the word of God. And when you're doing that, you're obeying the father's will. Because the spirit through the word of God is revealing the father's will for us. So this is something that a lot of Christians... I know most of you know this, and maybe all of you know this, I hope, and sure of this. Because there's a lot of Christians who don't, and they get all messed up, and they get up in the holy roller move, all this uh, holy roller stuff going on, and emotionalism, and they want to feel good, and they, they, they think that there's no, uh, they, they get fall, involved in all this uh, prosperity gospel, and they want, uh, they want life to be a highway, and they, they you know, they, they, they have all these crazy ideas in their head, and they're not academically disciplined, they're not students of the Word of God, they're not disciples of Jesus, and they don't know their Bible, and therefore, you're susceptible to deception, and as I said many times, times before. If you don't want to listen to what the Word of God says, the devil's got a whole bunch of other stuff to give you, namely lies. Now look at, uh, look at it says in, uh, well, if you see that, if you look at verse uh, Romans 15, 4 again, it says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures or the encouragement produced by the scriptures, we might have confidence. So there Paul's teaching us that through the scriptures, the believer can experience confidence in his relationship with God and that he's been blessed in the past, is blessed now, and will be blessed in the future. And of course, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 teaches that the Spirit inspired the scriptures. So therefore, if you look at Romans fifteen thirteen again, it says, May God, uh, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
That God there is the second member of the Trinity. And it couldn't possibly be referring to the Father, but rather it's referring to the Spirit because He is the member of the Trinity whose function it is to produce peace and joy in the believer through fellowship with Him. And how you have fellowship with Him? Obey His voice, which is heard through the teaching of the Word of God. So, again, how do I know? Why is that important? Because we need to have an appreciation of who, who, what's going on. If we want to have, bring glory to God, we want to have this joy and peace, we got to know the mechanics of how it's done. And, and a lot of Christians don't know that. I want you to know that. That's why I explain it. So anytime I say, and you should be able to do this as well, after through repetition, is that when you say something that you believe in, you should be able to support it with scripture. Not because Bill says it, and you should, I mean, you should be listening to me, but you should have your own convictions. Well, for instance, I, I have my convictions. I've been taught by other men. I read other men all the time. I sat under a pastor for years. And what, what I do is I'm learning from them. I'm listening to the Spirit through them. I need to be able to give an account for the confidence, the hope that's in me. I, nobody else can do that. I have to have my own convictions because I have to present myself before the Lord at some point and why, why did I believe what I believe? We're going to be given held to account. So I want to be able to explain why I believe what I believe and explain my interpretation. And that's very important that you are able to do that. As, as time goes on, the more and more you listen, you should be able to point these things out to people so you can help other Christians. Because it says in Romans uh, Hebrews 5, at the very end of that chapter, that he rebuked, the writer rebuked the, uh, the, the believers there, in Judea, that they were not able to teach one another. At that point in their walk with God, they should have already been able to teach one another. Not become a pastor teacher and hold that office, but to encourage one another and instruct one another in the Word of God, which we studied in this epistle. So this is very important that we know who's involved here. Now may, it says, may God, of the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing. That is, of course, referring to the Holy Spirit. So, and there, the word God there in verse 13 couldn't possibly be referring to the Father or the Son for that matter, but rather the Spirit. Because why? He's the member of the Trinity whose function it is to produce peace and joy in the believer through fellowship with Him. We saw that in Romans 14, 17, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He does it through the Scriptures. How do we know that? Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, the Spirit inspired the Scriptures. Put two and two together. Now, how do you have that peace and joy? How do you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And then have that peace and joy? Obeying the Spirit's voice, which is heard through the teaching of the Word of God. Consequently, the statement in Romans 15, 13 is technically not a prayer. However, as I said before, it's an intercessory prayer that Paul prayed, and he's revealing the content of this prayer to encourage the Roman believers. So Paul is revealing his Spirit-inspired desire for the Roman church as an indirect means of encouraging the Roman believers to go forward in the Father's plan. I want to take you through a couple of different passages because I want to show you some more of the, uh, of the mechanics and how the Spirit can produce this confidence, the divine, this divine confidence you could call it because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. I want to show you how the Word, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together and how they, and they function and how when you are looking at your Bible and listening to it taught, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit is guiding you and directing you, and you have to make a decision whether you're going to accept it or reject what's being taught. So look at, uh, look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, please. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. 
Look at verse 18. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, nonsensical behavior. But be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, the Spirit, the word there, filled there, is plirao, which talks about an influence. The Spirit is influencing you through the teaching of the Word of God. He's speaking to you. Instead of being under the influence of alcohol, see the the contrast there? He wants the Ephesians to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to, and how's that done? Through the word of God. But I want to show you something. Look at the your results of being obeying that command. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Go to Colossians. Go to Colossians three sixteen. You got Ephesians, Philippians, you got Colossians. Colossians three sixteen. Now, Paul is not going to emphasize in Colossians the ministry of the Spirit like he did in Ephesians. He wants to emphasize the ministry of the Word in relation to their fellowship. With the Ephesians, he was emphasizing the ministry of the Spirit and how he is important in their, to have fellowship. To be, it's important, their attitude toward what he's saying in the Word of God and how he functions is absolutely essential so that they can experience, their, experience fellowship with God. Colossians 3 is emphasizing the ministry of the word. Look at Colossians 3.16. And look at the results that after obeying this command, what will happen if we obey this command? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, your soul, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice a lot of the characteristics there are the same thing as being as obeying Ephesians five eighteen command to be filled with the Spirit, the same results are, are borne out right here in Colossians. Now I want to show you some uh, uh, things here. Go, go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter three. Look at verse seven. So when a lot of times the writer will do, he'll say, listen to what the Spirit says. Or the Spirit says this. And the person who's writing this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knows he's writing Scripture. He knows he's being influenced by the Spirit to write what he's writing. And so he's saying, listen to what the Spirit says. So that's why, that's why I say, uh, when I'm teaching, you better be darn sure that if you're going to reject what I'm saying, and you have every right to, but you better be sure that you're in fellowship with the Spirit, because if I am and you're not listening to what I'm saying, you're rejecting God, not me. <laughs> because if I, that's the whole point. If I'm not, it's not the guy you're disobeying if you disobey me. You're disobeying the Spirit. I'm not the one you're disobeying. It's really the Spirit, because I'm following His guidance and direction as I teach. So the, the, the authors of Scripture will mention the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that they're speaking through the Spirit. Look at what it says in Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, where? In the Scriptures. And he quotes Psalm 95, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial, in the wilderness. And right there, he's quoting Old Testament Scripture. 
He says, listen to what the Spirit says. The Spirit speaking through the Scriptures. Look at 2 Peter. You got Hebrews, you got James, and then you got first and second Peter. Look at Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty. But know this, Second Peter one twenty, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's, the Holy Spirit provided the inhale and the human office of scripture exhaled it in writing. Now go back to Romans 15.13, please. Romans 15.13. Hopefully you held your place. Romans 15, 13, he says, Now may the God, you know who that is, the Holy Spirit, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace and believing. Now, of hope is, a, uh, is the word elpis. We've seen it. You're probably familiar with this word. We've seen it quite a bit. The word hope is an unfortunate translation, and I say that because the English word hope connotes some kind of doubt. And I've given the illustration. If I knock on this girl I like on the door, I knock on Pammy Anderson, and I say, gee, I hope she, she says yes and goes out with me. See, there's some doubt there. The Greek word doesn't have this doubt. It talks about confidence. It can be translated sometimes simply confidence or confident expectation. Either way, what it, the underlying theme with the word, idea with the word, is confidence. God wants you to have confidence. So, that's going to be in direct proportion. You will have the confidence, the confidence in your relationship with God, confidence that God is with you. The more It'll directly correspond to your attitude and your obedience to what the Spirit says to you and I and the Word of God. So this word hope talks about confidence, confidence in one's relationship with God. It denotes a confidence that one has been blessed in the past and is being blessed in the present and will be blessed in the future. Now, it's interesting grammatically with this word, syntactically, it's a genitive of product. And that means to us that the confidence, that confidence in one's relationship with God, that you're blessed in the past, blessed now in the present, and will be blessed in the future, this confidence is produced by the Holy Spirit. So we could say, now may God the Holy Spirit, who produces confidence, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, the, the word has a definite article in front of it. In English, the definite article is the. In Greek grammar, Koine Greek, the Greek of the New Testament, the Greek article can do a lot of things. Here, the articular construction emphasizes that this confidence that he's talking about is divine in quality and character. Why? Because it's produced by the Holy Spirit when the believer obeys the scriptures which the Spirit inspired according to 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, which we just read. Now, then he says, now may the God, the Holy Spirit, who produces confidence, fill you with all joy and peace and believing. May fill is, a, is the word pleroo. And that word was the same word that Paul used in Ephesians 5, 18. Here, it means to cause someone to become filled with something. And it's used here with the Holy Spirit as its subject, and the souls of the Roman believers are its object. 
This indicates that Paul's desire, that Paul desires that the Holy Spirit, who produces a confidence, which is divine in quality and character, would cause the souls of the Romans to be filled with joy and peace by trusting in what he says in the scriptures. So notice something. And this destroys the let go, let God thing. Look at it says in verse 13. Now may God the Holy Spirit, who produces confidence as we saw, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's our part. The Holy Spirit is doing his part to produce that peace and joy, but our part is to believe what he says in the word of God. He's not talking about faith alone and Christ alone to get saved. They're already believers. He's talking about how they can experience fellowship with God, how they can have this, these, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in their life, the manifestations of divine uh, manifestations of joy and peace and confidence. God wants us to have that. That's how you know that you're, you're, being, you're, being in, you're in fellowship with God. It affects you. It affects your character. It affects your conduct. I can always tell when myself or anybody else as a believer is not, is not being filled with the Spirit at that moment. And they're not walking with God at that moment. It's because they manifest the sin nature rather than the, the, uh, what the Holy Spirit produces, which we read in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So immediately when you feel, when you sense that, you know that you're grieving the Holy Spirit that Ephesians 4.30 says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we're to fan the flame of the Spirit. And that's why you hear many people say, that guy's on fire for the Lord. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what they used to call, and that's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. And how do you do that? You sin. When we sin, that grieves the Holy Spirit. He wants to have fellowship with us. We're grieving him when we sin. Confess it, get back into fellowship, stay in fellowship by obeying what he says in the word of God. So he's, this, is, this is something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. He's going to cause the souls of the Romans to be filled with joy and peace when they trust, in the, what, the, they trust what the Spirit says in the scriptures. Now he says, you, may the God of hope fill you. You is, of course, is the, the Roman believers, but it's used in a distributive sense. That means he's talking to them, each and every one of you, without exception, not making any exceptions, regardless of your race, gender, or social status. This is God's desire for you and me. Whether you who are black or white, Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, Red Sox fan, Yankee fan, whatever you are, Pam Anderson fan or not, the Holy God wants this for us. He wants this for us. This is God's desire for us. But he can't, he can't crawl inside our souls and jam it down our throat. He's a gentleman. He, we have free moral agents. It's our responsibility to respond in faith in what he says. How do you know you're operating in faith? It's obedience. Obedience manifests the fact that you trust God. Abraham, Hebrews 11.8. He, he, he what? By faith, Abraham obeyed God. He, he left. Look, hold your place. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Let me show you what Abraham did. Faith and obedience go together. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham... When he was called, obeyed. (laughs) 
By faith, he, when he was called, he obeyed. Notice the obedience and faith go together. He manifests that he trusted God. I believe what you say, God. And he manifested by the fact that he left and went where he was told. He obeyed. So you know and I know when we're walking by faith is when we're obeying God. Because faith manifests itself in obedience to what the word of God says. Now go back to Romans 15, 13, please. Hopefully you held. So he says in Romans 15, 13, May God the Holy Spirit, who produces confidence, fill you, and you are speaking to each and every one of the Roman believers, and each and every one of us here in the 21st century. Now he says joy. The Holy Spirit, he wants the Holy Spirit to cause joy to be produced in their life. The word joy there is ara, and it refers to each and every one of the Roman believers experiencing the joy joy of the Lord by means of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Hold your place. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. I want to show you how our our obedience to the Word of God, our attitude toward the Word of God is going to produce this joy in us. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You want to get here and down in the dumps? Get your nose into the Word of God. Study it. You'll get out of your funk. Hey, I'm, I'm living proof of that. When I was a kid, you could ask my mother, she's so funny, she wanted to throw me in, a, that she thought I needed to go to a psychiatrist when I was a kid. Because I was this, you know, moody son of a gun, depressed, and from time to time I jump into that. But you know what? The, over the years, God has worked on me on that. I get my joy. I'm happiest when I'm in the Word of God. When I'm studying it, when I'm teaching it, when I'm talking about it. it does, that's when I'm happy. My, my best relationships in life are with people I can share the, talk about the Word of God with. That, that, that's what makes, gives me the most joy in life. It says right there in Psalm 19, verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Look at Psalm 119 which is all about the Word of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 162. It's the biggest chapter in the Bible, in your English Bible, Psalm 119. It's all about the Word of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 162. And this chapter is right in the heart of the Bible, isn't it? Absolutely. wonder why. Psalm 119, verse 162. I rejoice at your word. Now look at it says... As one who finds great spoil. You could stick, and this is the truth, and I hope I, hope I get tested for this. <laughs> to see what happens. I probably shouldn't say that. I hope I don't get tested. So you could, put, you could plant $10 million there. It's not going to make give me the happiness I know I have with the word of God. It's the truth. I'll tell you why. Because I've turned down, I used to remember this guy who I used to work for. He used to try to get me to, he would offer me all kinds of money to go to Florida, to go for a trip to do this. But I said, no, I got a, I got church, you know, during the weekend. I'm not going to go down to Florida. I'll give you two grand for this. Like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no. I can't, you know, I have many vices and weaknesses, but uh, love of money right now isn't in the problem right now. But that, but notice it's joy comes from rejoicing at your word. That's what made the psalmist rejoice. That's what gave him happiness. And that's what God wants in us. So, you can go back to Romans 15, verse 13. 
That joy, when he says, may God the Holy Spirit who produces confidence fill you with all joy, that joy is divine in quality and character because, remember we studied Romans 14, 17, we read it tonight, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's produced by the Holy Spirit. How's that? How's he produce it in us? When we obey what he says in the word of God. Peace, peace is the word irini, and irini means, uh, is correctly translated here, it refers to the believer experiencing the peace of God by means of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Then we have, we finish off the, uh, the, verse, the, the first half of the verse this evening. As I noted before, what is our job? Holy Spirit, we know what he's going to do. He's, gonna, he's the one who produces a, co- a confidence in us that's divine in quality and character. He's the one who will fill our souls with the joy and the peace that's divine in quality and character because he produces it. But we got to do something. It's not let go, let God. We have to believe in what he says. Many believers, they look at the word faith and believing and they cookie cut the word. And they think it's just talking about the faith to get saved, saving faith. Look at the context. Here, he's talking about a faith after conversion. As you, you're to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. How do we receive Christ? Colossians 2, uh, 6, it says, As you receive Christ, so also walk in him. How do you receive him? Through faith. So, the word in believing, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The word believing is a prepositional phrase in the original. We have the preposition N, and then we have the articular infinitive form of the verb pistevo, which is translated here believing. The verb pistevo is used with the Roman believers as its subject, of course. Thus the word does not refer to trusting in Jesus Christ as one Savior, or saving faith, resulting in being declared justified by God. Why is that? Because the Romans are already saved. We're not talking about saving faith here. We're talking about a faith that we need to have after conversion. Therefore, the verb refers to exercising faith in the Spirit's teaching in the Old Testament Scriptures and the Lord's teaching and the Apostles' teaching, which are now recorded in the Greek New Testament, because the object of the believer's faith after his conversion to Christianity is the Spirit's teaching in the Word of God. Now, the word here, it's an infinitive, as I said before, pistevo. It functions as an infinitive of means. That indicates to us that the Holy Spirit will cause the Roman believers, and you and I, to be filled with all joy and peace by exercising faith in the Spirit's teaching in the Word of God. Revelation 2 and 3, those chapters, you keep hearing, listen to what the Spirit says to the church. Listen to what the Spirit says to the church. Romans, is a, you could say the same thing. Listen to what the Spirit's saying to the church. Don't, don't shut them off. Listen to them and obey what he says. So, therefore, as we close here, and then we'll go have our prayer meeting in a few minutes after we close in prayer. Therefore, up to this point in our study of this passage, and this is a deep verse. I could have gone all night on this verse. There's so many things on here. If I, I could take five nights to do this verse, and I still wouldn't get it all. There's so much in here. I try to cover as much ground as I could. But up to this point in the verse, uh, we can see that in order to encourage his readers... Paul is sharing with them a prayer that he offered up to the Father on their behalf. In this prayer, we saw, Paul desires that the Holy Spirit would cause each and every one of them, without exception, to be filled with all joy and peace by exercising faith in the Spirit's teaching and the Word of God. And tomorrow evening, we're going to note the purpose for desiring this to take place among 
the Roman believers. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard this evening, encourage us, instruct us in righteousness, rebuke us if necessary, and we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for the Spirit, and we thank you so much for those who are in the chapel that are serious students of the word of God, who care about their relationship with you and want to cultivate it and want to grow closer to you. So we thank you for them and we pray that you would encourage them through the message. And also we pray that you would give us traveling mercies on the way home for those of us in the chapel. And also, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct the prayer meeting after and the deacons meeting and also the fellowship that takes place. And we pray that the Spirit would do this mightily. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.